Well, today, as we open God's Word, I'm just going to ask you to take your Bible out and go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation. Today, we're going to be back in Revelation chapter 1, and we're spending a little bit more time in Revelation 1 than we will as we get further on into the book of Revelation. But the reason we're doing that is Revelation 1 is the foundation for the rest of the book. So you must understand Revelation 1 to be able to unpack the rest of Revelation and be able to understand Revelation and be able to find your purpose in Revelation. And the reason we are studying this book, especially during this time of pandemic, this time of quarantine, is the reason that we turn to the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God that unites us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because it is the voice of God to us as believers. Right now in the world, there are a lot of voices that are speaking. Fear has a voice. Pain has a voice. Suffering has a voice. Death has a voice. They all have voices, but the voice of God is louder. And when we turn to his word, we hear the voice of God. And it brings us together, even when we're apart. And it unites us. But we see our purpose in the suffering, in the pain, in the chaos, in the quarantine, whatever it is, we see purpose in the midst of that. And that is what God's word is showing us specifically in Revelation as we study about the last days. So this morning, as you turn to Revelation, I'm going to start in Revelation 1 9. And so I just want to read that and then make a couple of comments about this verse before we go on. So look there in verse 9. What it says there, it says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Now to start off there, I just want to start off with those first two words. I, John, because it's very important that we understand who John is and what John is writing about. Because, of course, John here is the John who wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote some epistles in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and now he is writing the book of Revelation. John was one of the 12 disciples. And not only was he a 12 disciple, he was one of the three disciples that were the closest to Jesus Christ, three of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And out of those three, John was probably the closest person to Jesus Christ on this earth, his dearest friend. The Bible calls him the beloved disciple. And the Apostle John is the only disciple that was brave enough to stand at the foot of the cross and watch Jesus Christ be crucified. And from the cross, Jesus spoke to John and told John to take care of his mother when he is gone. He says, take care of my mother. So Jesus speaks to John and gives him the care of his mother. So he loves him and he trusts him. And now he trusts him with this word. When John first met Jesus, he was probably a teenager, probably somewhere in his late teens. Now, as he writes the book of Revelation, this is around 80, AD 90. So he is probably somewhere around 80 to 90 years of age. And as he writes this revelation from God, he says there that he is on the island of Patmos. Now, when we read that, that sounds innocuous to us because we think of an island as a place you go for vacation. 
But this isle or island of Patmos was not a vacation spot at all. What this was is it was a prison camp. And it was a mile of volcanic rock about a few miles off the coast of Turkey. It was five miles wide, ten miles long. And the Roman government sent prisoners there as basically to be part of a labor camp. And they worked day and night under the watchful eye of a whip. And if they didn't work, they would get whipped. They were, had inadequate food. They didn't have a place to lay their head. And it was there that John was living his life and where God appeared to him. But John tells us why he was there. He says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. The reason John is on this island is because he preached the word of God and told people about Jesus Christ. Now, tradition tells us, history tells us, that before John went to this island, he was actually almost killed. The emperor Domitian, the Roman emperor, tried to martyr John for preaching the word of God and for his testimony about Jesus Christ. He actually threw him into a cauldron of boiling oil to martyr him. But God was not done with John. So John did not die. He survived. And tradition tells us that even while he was boiling in that cauldron, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Rome had some type of a law like we do, double jeopardy, so they couldn't try to kill him again. So now he is exiled to this island. And that is where God appears to him. And this is what he says. He says, I, John, am your brother. I'm your brother. So here we see the church of Jesus Christ because we know as followers of Jesus, we are part of a faith family. That's what Galatians 6 tells us, that we are part of the household of faith and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And John is our brother. And he is writing to the church. Now he tells us just a verse, few verses down, the churches that he's writing to. He's writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor. But he's not just writing to these seven churches. John is writing to the church, to us, almost 2,000 years later. Because I believe right now where we are in the age of history is we are in the church age. From AD 90 to 2020, all we are doing is living the fulfillment of 2 Peter 3, 9. And that verse says that God is not really being slow about his promise. And what is his promise? The return of Jesus Christ. He is not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to come to repentance. God's heart is for the lost to be saved. And the way that the lost are saved is by the church proclaiming and preaching Jesus Christ. And for 2,000 years, God has been patient so that God's word can go forth, so the name of Jesus can be made known, so that people can be made right with God. And the church, you and me, followers of Jesus Christ, are commanded, we're called to make that name Jesus known so that people can be saved. And that's who John is writing to, the church who is doing just that. And he says not only is he our brother, he says he is our partner. And our partner in what? Well, the first thing he says there is he is our partner in suffering. Now, John was obviously suffering on this Isle of Patmos. He was living isolated on a rock 
laboring day and night just because he wouldn't bow down to a Roman emperor and he wouldn't worship Roman gods. He would worship God alone. And not only was he suffering, the first century church was suffering because they would not bow down to anyone except the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were persecuted and they were having hardship economically, religiously, socially, and everything in between. And not only is John talking to the first century church when he writes these words, he is talking to the church today in 2020 who are living in the days just before the return of Jesus Christ. He is telling us that he is our partner in suffering. Now that word there in some of your translations might be the word tribulation, but the word tribulation just means to suffer, to be persecuted. And this is a promise of scripture for the believer Jesus tells us this over and over. He says, if they hated me, they are going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they are going to persecute you. He tells us it is going to be this way. But he tells us that we suffer. He tells us we are persecuted for a reason. And that reason is for the kingdom of God. And that's what John says here. He says, I am your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Now, for so many believers, especially today in the West, we see that phrase and we really don't even understand what it means. But if you're to take your New Testament and you're to read your New Testament, you are going to see that phrase, the kingdom of God, over a hundred different times in 16 different books. So if the phrase, the kingdom of God, is mentioned in two-thirds of the New Testament 100 times, you might want to know what the kingdom of God is because you're a partner in the kingdom of God if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus preached his first sermon, he preached it, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, he says something. He says that we are commanded to do one thing. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Of God. In the Greek New Testament, that is an imperative, meaning that we are called or commanded to seek first the kingdom of God. That means we're to prioritize our life around the kingdom of God, not the other way we usually do it. Usually we seek first something like our job or our family, and then the kingdom of God or our church or whatever is just secondary. But Christ commands us to seek first the kingdom. Why? Because He understands. The importance of the kingdom, not only for our life, but for the world. So that was his first sermon. But I want you to see what Jesus Christ told his disciples at the very end of his life. Because he said something very interesting in the book of Acts. And this is after he was crucified, after he was resurrected, before he ascends up to the Father later on in Acts 1.11. This is what Acts 1.3 says. It says, during the 40 days after he had suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So what this is, Acts 1-3, is this is the last words that Jesus Christ speaks on this earth. This is his last time that he is living on this earth, and for 40 days, every time he met with his disciples, every time he met with believers, what did he talk to them about? He talked to them about the kingdom of God. If you had asked me before a few years ago what the book of Acts was about, 
I would have told you the book of Acts is about the early church, the foundation of the early church and the spread of the early church. But the book of Acts is not about the early church. What is the book of Acts about? It is about the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus does in the book of Acts is he establishes his kingdom. And if you go read the end of Acts, in Acts 28, the last two verses, guess what the apostle Paul is doing from prison? The Bible says there he is preaching about the kingdom of God. So in Acts 1-3, Jesus is establishing his kingdom. And he not only is he establishing that kingdom, he is establishing the church, which is his tool to make the name of Jesus known so that his kingdom can expand to all the earth. See, biblically, this is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is is God's activity in the world right now making people right with himself. It is God saving the lost. And if you read the Bible, there are actually two kingdoms in this world. And I'm not talking about places like the United Kingdom or the United States because those are temporal kingdoms. I'm talking about eternal kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and then there is the kingdom of darkness. That's why Paul talks about the kingdom of darkness and he says that Satan is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians. So the kingdom of God is making people right with God through Jesus. The kingdom of darkness is trying to keep people away from God. And how is Satan and the kingdom of darkness doing that? The Bible says there in 2 Corinthians, he is blinding them to truth. And so that's why Jesus Christ established the church to make truth and to make the word of God and the name Jesus known. The church is the tool in which God uses to establish his kingdom. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of that church and you are a tool that God uses to make his name known, to make people right with himself. And so we have the book of Revelation here to give us hope in days when we are struggling, when we are suffering, in days when we can't find purpose. Jesus says, I have heard your cry of distress. He says, I have seen your oppression. I'm aware of your suffering. So I'm about to come down and rescue you. That's what we looked at last week in Exodus 3, 7. But right after, John writes that he's a partner in our suffering. He gets to see Jesus Christ. And in verse 12, we get to see it with him. This is what John says. He says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like a mighty ocean wave. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. John gives us an image of who Jesus Christ is. And in the word of God, this is the only physical description of Jesus Christ that we get. But we see Jesus in all his glory and all his majesty. And this is the response that John had and that every follower, believer of Jesus Christ should have. Verse 17 says, 
when I saw him, I fell at his feet if if I were dead. John fell down and worshiped Jesus Christ. And Christian believer, when we see Jesus, when we meet him, when we hear his voice, this should be our response that we fall down at his feet and worship him. Now, if you are not a believer, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that should not be your reaction to Jesus. You should not fall down in worship. You should turn in fear. Because if you have not called on the name of Jesus to save you, if you have not been made right with God, then one day when you meet Jesus, you will not meet him as Savior. You will meet him as a judge, and he will judge you for your sins, and you should fear that. But thank God for his word and for his church making his name known so that you can know that you can be made right with God through Jesus and through his death on the cross for your sins and through his resurrection. And no longer do you have to fear him because you can be saved by him. So church, not only should we worship him. There's one more thing that I want you to see. Because John not only fell down and worshiped, but he rose up. Verse 17, one more time. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his hand, his right hand on me, and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen. Not only should we fall down and worship Jesus Christ, but we should rise up and witness what we have seen. Now, I understand here that John is writing down a New Testament book and no one in the church today is called to write a New Testament book. But what I want you to see is we're called to do something better. We're called to live the New Testament book in which John writes. Because what we get to do as followers of Jesus Christ in these days that we are living right now is we get to live the pages of the book of Revelation. And we get to be a part of God's plan, his climax of all redemptive history as the world is saved, many of the world, just before the return of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see is I want you to see your part in that. And just one more image as we close. I want you to see what Jesus Christ looked like as John saw him. Because it says there in verse 13 that he saw standing in the middle of the lampstands someone like the Son of Man and he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. And then verse 15 says this, and his feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. Now that phrase there, when it talks about Jesus Christ wearing a long white robe, if you go back to the Old Testament, six out of the seven times when it talks about a long white robe, this robe was a priestly robe that the high priest would wear into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice of atonement for the people of Israel. And here's what's important about this robe. It's a long robe because this robe always covered the high 
priest's feet. Have you ever wondered why feet are so important in the Bible? In verse 15, it talks about Jesus' feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. To understand that, you have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis 3. And you see how God brings the Bible all together. Because in Genesis 3, you see the fall of man. You see the sin of Adam and Eve, how they rebelled against God. And it says there that Satan deceived them. And they sinned, they rebelled against God, and they were cast out of the presence of God. And then verse 15, it says this. It says that God says to Satan that the seed of the woman will crush your head. Now, later on in the New Testament, in 1 John 3, 8, it tells us who that seed of woman is. It is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ came to defeat the works of Satan. And here's what's amazing. I want you to see how Jesus defeats Satan, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. Of course, well, we know he defeated death, and he defeated the grave on the cross as he was crucified and resurrected. But he will destroy the works of Satan through his church. I just want you to see a couple more verses. And I want you to see what God is doing with you and me right now. In Romans 16, 20, this is what the Bible says. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Under whose feet? Under Jesus' feet? No. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And how will he do that? By using our feet to take the good news of Jesus to all the world so that the kingdom of God will be made known. Romans 10, 15. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful are the feet. Have you ever wondered in John 13 why Jesus washes the disciples' feet? It's because those feet and our feet take the message of hope and salvation the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can be made right with him. And through those feet, Satan will be destroyed. He will be crushed. And I want you to see that in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 12, we'll talk a lot about this. But just look at verse 10. This is what the Bible says. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. Now the accuser is Satan there. And who are the brothers and sisters? Well, that's our partner, John. We're partners. He's our brother. Brothers and sisters of the church. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before God, our, our God, day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. Now who defeated him? They. Who's they? Brothers and sisters. For whatever reason. God has chosen you. 
He has chosen me to live in this day as we see the book of Revelation unfolding before our very eye. And the only question that remains is will we be found faithful? All my life, one of the things I've heard Christians, believers say, is they say things about heaven when they get to heaven. They want to talk to certain people. They want to ask certain people questions, maybe like Peter, maybe like John. But they always say, I want to know this, I want to know that. But I want you to know what it's going to be like when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, you're not going to go around and be able to ask Paul and Peter what it was like or why they wrote this or why what they saw. You're not going to be able to do that because they're going to come to you first. And they're going to ask you this question. What was it like to live in the last days? Is what I wrote true? What was it like? How did it change your life? How did it change where you went? How did it change the way you spent your money? How did it change your voice and what you said? What was it like to live in the last days? What are you going to tell them? Are you going to say, well... It was great because I watched it unfold in my living room and I saw it on a big screen TV. Are you going to be able to say like the Apostle John? that I was a partner with Jesus in his suffering. I made his name known. So that the world could hear. So that the world could worship. So that the world could be made right with God. What will you say? Because one day you'll be asked that question. For all those who are listening to my voice. Who don't believe in Jesus. Who have never called upon his name to save them. You're going to hear a question as well. And that question is this. What did you do with Jesus? Did you believe in him? Or did you reject him? My prayer this entire week. As I have studied God's word and prayed for those who are listening to my voice who have never heard is that as you hear the name Jesus God would draw you to himself. In Isaiah 55 the Bible says to call upon the spirit while he is near. I'm telling you if you can hear my voice and you have heard the name Jesus the spirit of God is near you because he's giving you a chance to believe. So call upon his name to save you. Today, I just want to give you that chance. The way you are saved, the way you are made right with God is through Jesus. Putting your hope, your faith, your belief in him. And the book of Romans tells us that all you have to do to be saved is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved.
Today, if you want to do that, just call upon that name Jesus and tell him you believe in him and tell him that you want to be saved and he will do that because that's what the word of God says. Call upon him while he's near. So as we close, I just want to pray for you. So would you bow with me? Just listen to the words of this prayer. Lord, we come to you thanking you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone listening to my voice who needs Jesus Christ for salvation. I pray that you would do a work of salvation in their life right now. Lord, save them. Lord, make them right. Lord, for everyone else listening to my voice that know you, that may be struggling or suffering or going through persecution or hurting or whatever it is, Lord, I pray that the voice of your word would be louder than any voice of this earth. And I pray that they would fall in love with your word and they would be drawn to your word to find comfort and to find peace. So, Lord, I just pray that you would use your word and you would use your people to make your kingdom known. We love you, we need you, and we praise you. And we thank you for that name, the name Jesus. Amen.